but maybe you've had this experience like I have and you can relate. Every once in a while, I will get something on my mind, something that I'm concerned about, something that I'm worried about, and it just begins to consume my thoughts. I remember there was a time when I was flying a lot more. Of course, not many people are flying much at all right now, but this would have been years ago. And I love flying. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a pilot or an astronaut. And so I always enjoyed flying. I know the statistics. I know that flying is safer than getting in my car. But every once in a while, when I was getting ready to get on a plane, I would have this irrational fear that something was going to happen and that I shouldn't get on the plane. And I would pray, Lord, if there's some reason why I shouldn't get on the plane, then stop me for some reason. And it was just, I I knew it was an irrational fear, but it just began to rise up within me. And I would have to purposefully decide to go forward and and to put that fear out of my mind. Now, that's kind of a funny, kind of a silly illustration, but there are things, aren't there, that we we, we wonder about and we worry about, and they can be debilitating. It can prevent us from doing something that we probably should do or would otherwise do or spending our energy and effort and thought power on things that might do us good. It's kind of like this. I saw this picture of this guy and it's like all of these different worries and concerns and things that he's thinking about. It's a visual representation of sometimes what's going on in our mind and these little post-it notes that in and of themselves should not stop uh, this person from doing anything, but they're covering his field of vision. They're covering his his mind space it's the the only thing that is taking up his attention are these kinds of concerns and worries so over the last couple of weeks we have been talking about some skills probably that we need to continue to navigate successfully through this phase of life last week we talked about choosing joy and today we are going to be talking about worry and the bottom line like last week is a very simple one it is simply don't worry that comes straight from the scripture passage that we're going to look at but it's also a little bit incomplete, right? I mean, just to tell somebody, don't worry, is not really all that helpful because you start to think about, well, there are things that I'm worried about because it makes sense for me to worry about these things. These are things that could happen. These are things that I want to avoid. These are the things that I'm concerned about and that matter. So just simply telling me not to worry isn't necessarily going to be helpful. I want you to remember this phrase, don't worry. But all throughout this message, I'm going to give you, or actually Jesus is going to give you through the Sermon on the Mount, reasons why it just simply doesn't make sense to worry. And if we know the why behind the command, the encouragement not to worry, then it's going to make sense. And it's go- you're going to realize it doesn't make sense to worry. You can put those worries aside. And basically what Jesus is going to say is do not worry because it's ineffective, it's unnecessary, and it robs you 
of today. So let's look at it together. This is in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 36. This is Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, And in this passage, he is picking up on the theme of worry. Beginning at verse 25, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says this. This is all Jesus' words. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why do you worry about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and He will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for preserving it and providing it for us. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, this is a message that we need to hear. We need to know that our Heavenly Father cares for us and is providing for us and is taking care of us and has every moment in his hands, every provision ready to provide for us and that he cares for us. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognize that about you, to entrust ourselves to you, to trust you and your goodness towards us. We pray that you would speak to every heart exactly at our point of need. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. All right, so let's look at it together. Jesus' command in this passage is don't worry. Do not worry. And he gives us the reasons why. And let's start with this one, that worry is ineffective. Worry is ineffective. Uh, when uh, When our kids were younger, Older brother had a video game console. Younger brother wanted to play. Now, this was a while ago. This was the time where the controllers actually plugged in. And so when younger brother was making noise about playing, older brother would give younger brother the controller, but he wouldn't plug it in. 
And he was young enough that at that time he could move the joystick and push the buttons and watch what was happening on screen and be happy and content with that. An older brother could play his game in relative peace. But the funny thing, of course, was, you know, younger brother, he was moving the moving the joystick and pushing the buttons, but it wasn't doing anything because it wasn't connected. It wasn't making any difference. And what Jesus says, uh, he just interjects this comment in the midst of this passage on worry. He lets them know that this is this is not effective. He says, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? It literally says, can by worrying, can you add a cubit to your life? Now, a cubit was a length of measurement, about 18 inches, a foot and a half. And he's saying, in essence, if you put out your lifespan, if you were able to measure it out, you couldn't add a single moment, a single day. You couldn't add a cubit to your lifespan span by worrying. Why? Because it's ineffective. It doesn't do anything about the thing that you are concerned. You can worry about something, but it's not going to change that something. You can worry about the outcome, but it's not going to change the outcome. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? No. So he says, why spend all of this energy and effort and time worrying when worrying is ineffective? It isn't going to do anything. So we, we kind of want to figure out, well, you know, if these are leg- legitimate concerns, if these are things that I need to be concerned about, things where I want one outcome over another, then what can I do about it? And we start to turn it over in our minds and run through all these worst case scenarios and try to, uh, Im- and we imagine all the bad things that could happen. Well, that's not going to do anything. So, If we really are concerned about that, then we should be looking for some kind of alternate approach to the worries of life. So we say that we don't want to worry because it's ineffective. It's not going to do anything about the thing that you're concerned about. But the other reason that we are told by Jesus not to worry, and this is where he spends the bulk of his time in this passage, is that worry is unnecessary. It's, it's not necessary. It's not only ineffective, it's not even needed. Look at how he talks about it, and he gives two particular examples with the birds of the air and Solomon. Starting out with the birds, beginning in verse 26. Look at the birds. What about the birds? What does he want us to observe about the birds? They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. In other words, they they are taking their energy, and I don't know what they're doing, but they're 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 not doing what we're doing. They're not they're not farming. They're not planting or harvest. They don't store up food in a barn. These are the things they don't do, and, and yet they're okay. Why? For your heavenly Father feeds them. In other words, here are the birds of the air. You don't even really give thought to, you know, you might put out some bird seed or you might feed them, but but generally, you know, whether that happens or not, they're going to be they're going to be okay. Why? Because your heavenly Father feeds them. He provides for them. 
And then he draws this contrast. He's drawing in both cases a contrast from the, from the lesser to the greater. So here are these birds. They don't do any work, but yet they th- still get fed. And he says, aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Birds were a dime a dozen. There, was, there wasn't a lot of value in birds. In fact, when offerings were made, if you were a person of means, you would offer a lamb or a goat or something like that. If you were poor and you couldn't afford that, then you would offer a bird. Why? Because birds were cheap. They weren't that valuable. And here he's saying, look, God takes care of these birds, which you don't, you, you don't consider valuable. They don't, they don't draw a high price in the market, but you're much more valuable. God feeds the birds. He's going to make sure he takes care of you as well. He draws that contrast. And then he draws another similar contrast. Look at the lilies of the field. So consider the birds. They don't, they, you know, they're not farmers and yet God provides for them. Then he says, look at the lilies, lilies of the field and how they grow. What don't they do? They don't work or make their clothing. You know, they don't have textile mills or anything like that. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. Now Solomon was of course King David's son. Solomon was also a king and it was during Solomon's reign that the kingdom grew to its greatest wealth and power and expan- and expanse. And so for among the things that Solomon was famous for was all of his wealth as well as his wisdom. And so Jesus says Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as the wildflowers that you see on this hill. And it's kind of a funny thing because at another time he claims to have known Abraham and the people, the, his opponents are like, what are you talking about? You're not even 50 years old. And you say that, you know, Abraham, I think it's kind of funny because here is Jesus saying, look, the, 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 the view that you see here, the lilies of the field, they are more beautiful than Solomon dressed in all of his glory. And Jesus was speaking from personal experience. He would have known, he would have been able to see uh, what Solomon looked like in his glory. And then the contrast again. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers, God cares for feeds the birds of the air. God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers. And then the contrast he draws here that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow. He will certainly care for you. He says about the birds of the air, you are so much more valuable than the birds. And if God takes care and concern to make sure that the birds are fed, how much more is he going to take care of you? And here he says, look, there's no permanence to the lilies of the field, to the wildflowers on the side of the hill. They're here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow. They're used as kindling. They're used as as cheap, inexpensive fuel. They're, they're, They're here today and gone tomorrow. You have a permanence. You have an eternal soul. And so he says he will certainly care for you. And then he comes to the crux of the issue. 
he asked this question, why do you have so little faith? Now, perhaps a better way of understanding that, uh, and this word is interchangeable, the same word in the New Testament is translated as faith, belief, and trust. I think trust is probably the word that I would use here. It's like, okay, you don't give any thought to making sure that all the wild animals and the birds are fed because that just kind of takes care of itself. Well, it doesn't really. God provides for them. You don't give any thought to the weeds that grow up, but yet they're they're there and they keep showing up year after year. You, you don't even give thought to that. And yet God is, has made them uh, beautiful and puts care and concern into them. So now look at yourself. You're far more valuable. You're going to last a whole lot longer. So why don't you trust that God cares for you at least as much as the birds in the air and the lilies on the side of the hill? Why do you have so little faith? Trust, redirect your, your, your worries and your concerns and thinking about all of the things that could happen that are uh, in many cases unlikely and in most cases bad scenarios and instead redirect your thoughts to trust that God is going to care for you, that he values you, that you're, he knows you're going to last forever somewhere and you're going to live forever somewhere. So he's going to pour his resources and his care on you. And if you ever question your value, if you ever wonder if you are valuable to the creator God who loves you, then you only have to look at what he was willing to pay for you. What makes something valuable? It's what someone is willing to pay for it. Nothing really has a value in and of itself. It's what a person is willing to give for it that makes something valuable. And so, when you think about, well, how, how much does God value you? What he was he willing to pay for you? And of course, the obvious and clear answer is that he was willing to send his son to offer the life of his son on the cross in order to redeem you, in order to pay for your sins, to buy back your life, to redeem your life. So you never have to wonder if God values you, if God loves you, because he was willing to pay for your life with the blood of his son. I, I, and if he's willing to, to pay that ultimate price, the, the, the life of his son, so that he could redeem you, so that he could adopt you and make you his son or daughter, then you never really have to worry about, is he going to care for me? Does he care for me? Is he going to provide for me? Can I entrust myself to him? You can I love this verse. It's uh, actually from the Psalms and it just points out the, the different perspective. You know, the Psalms are poetry and this is just a person writing about their experience of the Lord and his provision for them. It says, it's in vain for you to rise up early, to retire 
late to eat the bread of painful labors. Just pause right there. I mean, isn't, isn't that what we tend to do? We think, you know, okay, if things are going to happen, it's up to me. I got to get up early. I got to keep working late. Uh, I, if I'm going to, if I'm going to eat, if I'm going to take care of things, I got to do this work. He says, it's vain for you to have that approach. In other words, it ends in nothing. Vain, this kind of vain is, is emptiness. It, it, it's not going to give you the results that you need. For why? He gives. Notice how the he there is capitalized in the New American Standard Version. They capitalize any words that refer to God. For he, God, your heavenly father, gives to his beloved, the people that he loves, the people that belong to him, even in his sleep. In other words, this is what it's like to be a, ch- a beloved child of God. Yeah, you're going to work. You're, you know, this isn't saying you just kind of sit around and do nothing. Have a great work ethic. Find a job that you love and that you can contribute to the greater good and work hard at it. But, but ultimately, this is what it's like to be a, a beloved child of God. Even while you sleep, he's going to be adding to your account. He's going to be taking care of you. He's going to be providing for you. Because that's what it's like to be included in the beloved. So again, picking up what Jesus said, his conclusion. So don't worry about these things saying, this is the, these are the expressions of worry. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? And I, and I see there are two different kinds of things that he's focusing on. He's focusing on needs, things that we need to come in to our lives. And then I think of clothing as that first line of defense, of protection, protection from the things that are outside that threaten to harm us. And so you could probably draw a, a, a wider application. What are the things that we need? God is going to provide for our needs. What are the things that we're worried about, concerned about, that need to be protected from? Well, God is going to be that hedge of protection for us. So don't worry about these things. These things, these kinds of concerns, dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. In other words, If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a believer, if you know him, if you've been adopted into his family, you're a part of his kingdom, then that's, uh, that, that, that doesn't fit anymore. You're, you're included in the family. Think about when you were a child, at, at, when, when you were young, you never probably, hopefully, for many of us, this would have been our experience. You didn't have to think about, well, I wonder if I'm going to eat lunch today. I wonder if I'm going to eat dinner. Maybe some of you grew up in extreme poverty and that was a possibility. But in most cases, we didn't even think about that as small children because we knew that our parents were going to provide. We just took that as a, a given that when breakfast, dinner, lunch, whatever came around that we were going to be taken care of because we show up at the family table and things are provided. And that's the kind of expectation that we had. And here's what Jesus is saying is when, when you act 
when you act like you're not going to get the things you need and you have to worry about all of the things that bad things that might come into your life, then you're acting like you don't even know God. You're, you're a practical atheist, no matter what you say you believe, because these kinds of things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But in contrast, your heavenly father already knows all your needs. In other words, there are things that you're going to need that you don't even know about yet, but your father knows. There are things that, yeah, there, there are situations that you're going to face and you're going to have certain needs. You're going to need certain type of protection. You, you don't even know how to prepare for them, but your heavenly father does. And just as he cares for the birds and the wildflowers, he is going to care for you. He already knows all your needs. But look, there is an important distinction here. It says your heavenly father, your heavenly father. Now that's not something that's automatic. You're not automatically a part of the family of God. You're not automatically included in his kingdom. It says in the scriptures that by nature, we are actually separated from him because of our choices that we have made, because of our broken, sinful nature. We are actually without hope and without God in the world. That's our natural starting point. And so there has to be a time where you turn your life over to Christ, where you accept his forgiveness, accept his invitation to be a part of his family when you say yes to Jesus. So in order for all of this to be true for you, you have to say yes. You have to have God as your father. And so I'm going to encourage you to commit your life to Jesus, to turn your life over to him, to say yes And we want you to let us know when you do that because we want to be able to celebrate it and also encourage you in your new walk. So click the button, text yes to our church number 603-225-2550. Let us know that you're saying yes to Jesus. And what we're saying, just to be clear, you're saying yes to his forgiveness, that you want what he did on the cross to count for you so that your sins are forgiven, so that you have a clear conscience, that, so that you stand righteous before God, not because of what you have done, because you've blown it. I've blown it. We've all blown it. But because of what Christ did on the cross, you're also saying yes to his lordship. In other words, he's going to call the shots. He's the boss. And I'm going to follow him. I'm going to commit my life to doing what he says. And that's exactly what's described in the very next verse. Matthew 6, 33 says, but instead, in other words, what's he been saying? He's saying, okay, if you, if you didn't know God, if you were uh, an unbeliever, then you would your life would be dominated by following after. Okay, what are the things I need? How can I get them? What are the things I'm worried about? How can I protect myself? That dominates your thoughts. But instead, now that you belong to God, now that he's your heavenly father, now that he's going to make sure that you're provided for and protected, but now seek first his kingdom and his righteousness 
and all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, you don't need to worry about your needs because God will take care of that. What's the ultimate worst thing that could happen? Ultimately, that you're talking about your death. And in Christ, according to the Apostle Paul, this was his testimony, for me to live is Christ. If I live, I get to serve him and, and, and pursue his purposes. And to die is gain. To die means I go into the presence of God and I am secure and safe beyond anything that could happen in this world. So now I'm taken care of. I can seek first his kingdom. What does that mean? Well, uh, whenever you want to understand what something means, you look at the context around it. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. At the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has taught us how to pray in what's commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Part of that is where it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when we say seek first his kingdom, what we're saying is we want his will to be done in my life his will to be done in our world for, for us, for what he wants to be what we want and for us to work towards that, that that's what we're going to expend our efforts on. And the idea of righteousness in the scriptures, I think very often we think of it as, you know, it's a list of do's and don'ts, but righteousness is primarily a relational concept that we want things to be right with God and we want things to be right with the people around us. And so he's saying, when you're free from these worries, then you can focus on the things that matter. Seeing God's will accomplished, making sure that relationships are going well. And then when you focus on those things, because God is your heavenly father, you don't have to worry about all that other stuff. So we said, you don't worry because it's ineffective. It's not going to make a difference about the things that you're worried about. It's unnecessary because as you belong to your heavenly father, he is going to take care of you. And then lastly, he ends it up with what I would describe it as that worry robs you of today. So this is the last verse in this passage. Jesus says, so don't worry. Again, there's our bottom line about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. In other words, you're thinking when you're worrying, what you're doing is you're turning over worst case scenarios about the future in your mind. And when you're doing that, then you're not seeking first his kingdom. You're not seeing ways that you can serve others, love others, provide for others, benefit others. You're, you're, you're wrapped up, you're covered, your field of vision is is, is blurred by all of these worries and you can't see the needs that are right in front of you and how you might help to bring about, be an answer to the prayer that you've been praying that his kingdom would come and his will would be done because you're so distracted. And so Jesus says in essence, okay, there are things that you know, you're concerned about, but we're going to put them in a box called tomorrow. This is an illustration that another pastor used and it's stuck with me and I've, I'm sharing it with you. It's, it's just so practical. It's like, okay, what are the things that you're worried about? Well, let's, let's, let's set them in a, in a mental box called tomorrow. And I'm going to put that box on the shelf because 
I'm not supposed to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow is going to bring its own worries. In other words, there'll be enough stuff to do to deal with the things that come up in today. So we're going to put tomorrow on a shelf. Today's trouble is enough for today. In other words, there, there are good things for you to do. There are things to handle, things to deal with today. Let's focus on those things. And again, in context, let's refer back to the, to the Lord's Prayer. It's one of my favorite phrases because it's kind of it's oddly phrased, but it gives you a key, a clue as to how this works. In Matthew 6, 11, part of the Lord's Prayer is, give us this day our daily bread. And again, the wording is kind of odd, but it, it suggests that, um, you know, it's like you're praying for the Lord to give us this day's provision. In other words, there are things I'm going to need tomorrow. There's, there's provision and protection that I'm going to need tomorrow, but that's not what I'm asking for. There's stuff that you have in mind for us today. Ephesians 2.10, God created us anew in Christ Jesus uh, for good works. He has good that he planned for us ahead of time, that he's going to, he, he's got good stuff for us to do. I'm going to have needs today. I'm going to need some protection today. So Lord, it, it's like you have this storehouse and everything you need for today is on a pallet with today's date on it. And so, Lord, would you just take that pallet down, the stuff that I need for today, and give it to me today? Give us this day our daily bread. And then when you recognize that, that you, your Heavenly Father has a storehouse, and He's got a pallet with everything that you're going to need to face whatever you're going to face for that day, stored up, ready to go, ready to provide for you. He's not going to give it to you ahead of time. You don't need it ahead of time. But every day, give us this day our daily bread, whatever provision I need, whatever protection I need, and whatever comes into my life, because there are things that are going to be there. Remember what he said? There's going to be enough trouble for each day. He's not promising a trouble-free life. He's promising to provide for us to be with us as we walk through every day and to give us everything that we need to face what will come today. Give us this day our daily bread. And let's just entrust the rest to him. Let's ask for that palette of resources for today. Let's take all of our concerns about tomorrow and put them in the box called tomorrow set them on the shelf for now so that we can focus on what really matters today. So that's why Jesus was able to command us not to worry. It's ineffective, it's really unnecessary, and it's just going to rob you of today. So that's my challenge for you. Take what you've heard and apply it. Let's shelve tomorrow and all of its worries and let's act today. Let's make use of the opportunities, the provision, and protection that God will give us for today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this insight into who you are, that you are a loving Heavenly Father who is watching over the birds and the wildflowers, and we are far more valuable, far more permanent, far more 
uh, precious to you and you will definitely take care of us. Lord, we are reminded of how valuable we are to you because you were willing to send your son and to sacrifice his life on the cross for our salvation. We thank you for that. And I pray that you would help all of us to recognize that we are loved by you. We, are, we belong to you and therefore we can entrust ourselves to you. And so I pray that you would help each one of us as we face worries and concerns during the week to shelve them, to put them in that box marked tomorrow, to entrust ourselves to you. And Lord, I pray that each day we will be aware and open to the opportunities that you provide for us, those good things that you have planned for us to do, and that we will act accordingly, that we will notice them and take advantage of the opportunity so that others will be benefited and you will receive glory. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. We thank you. And everyone said, Amen.